All right, so uh, for those of you who are joining us for the first time today, we started a brand new series last, year, last week called Sowing Seeds. And here is the basic idea. I wish I could stand up here and tell you, listen guys, 2023 is the year of blessing. 2023 is the year of breakthrough. And you know better than I do that you've heard that before because your breakthrough didn't come in 2020. It didn't come in 2021 or 2022. And so here's the truth. I don't know what this year holds for you. I don't know if it's gonna be an extremely challenging year or a year of abundance. Most likely it's gonna be a bit of both, right? Because on average, that's how things turn out. But here's the proposal that I'm trying to bring to us in this series, and, and it is this. Are we gonna sit and wait and just deal with whatever comes our way? Or are there certain actions that we can take now that can guarantee you to some level, you and I are gonna experience and enjoy higher levels of life. And by life, I don't always mean the American dream, but I mean it's life as God intended. And that is where this idea of sowing seeds comes from. You see, when you're sowing a seed, you're not stressing about the whole farm or the whole field. You're just thinking about one seed. And what is a seed? A seed is life potential because that seed can turn into a plant, which in turn can turn into more life. And so can you and I plant something at the beginning of this year? It may be a small step, but it is life potential. And who knows, as this kind of nurtures in the soil of God's goodness and God's life, what kind of life it can connect us to. And so the main thought of last week was, if we want to know and experience life, we need to be connected to the one who by definition is life. We sang that in one of our songs today. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So last week was like 99% inspiration, 1% application. Let us ensure if we want to plant seeds of life, we need to be connected to the one who is life. And today we're gonna start getting a little bit more practical here. And so as we look at the coming year, Every blessing that you're going to experience is going to come to you at a predictable pace. One second per second, one hour per hour, one day per day. And there's nothing you and I can do to change that. And so I know that some of you have this date in your mind, otherwise known as an EDD, an expected date of delivery, because some of you have some babies that you're gonna be celebrating this year. I know that some of you are looking forward to some of these dates whereby you're going to be celebrating marriage and the starting of a new family this year. And once again, that is plotted along a timeline and you cannot rush it and you cannot slow it down. Now, maybe some of you are looking forward at the year and you're not looking at these awesome experiences, you know that this big meeting is coming or you know that your contract is coming to an end or whatever the case might be. But once again, it comes to us 
at a predictable pace, and it can actually be plotted on a timeline. And so if we recognize that somehow God knows this, God is the God of our present and our past and our future, can we think about our time in the same way? Can we think about planting seeds that are gonna show up on our calendar and maybe they're gonna look insignificant, but can we potentially think about some small changes that you and I can make today that will guarantee that we are led more towards life this year than away from life. And we're gonna talk about a number of ideas and maybe only one of them stands out to you and that is totally okay because again, we're planting seeds. We're planting seeds. So let's be available to what God is wanting to say to us today that is gonna literally translate onto our diaries and our calendars. You see, one of the things that, uh, at least according to the scriptures that Christians should be known for, is that we are actually wise according to how we use our time. Now, I know that's not always true of me. It's probably not always true of you, but where do I get that idea from? Well, let me read Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 16, where Paul writes to a church, and he says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. So Paul starts off by saying, listen, be very careful. In other words, take care. In other words, be intentional, be thoughtful. If you want your time to count, this is not gonna happen by accidents. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. My working definition of wisdom is living life well according to God's ways and God's wisdom. Living life well according to God's ways and God's wisdom. And so Paul is challenging us to say, we need to make the most of every moment that comes to us on this timeline, of every moment, of every hour, of every opportunity. We need to be intentional about this. Why? He says, here's the reason, because the days are evil. Now, a lot could be said about that. But here's one thought I wanna leave with you as we think about this idea the days are evil. If you are not careful with your time, in other words, if you are unintentional and unthoughtful with regard to your time, does your time naturally flow to those things that are good? Does your time naturally flow to the gym? Does your time naturally flow to more time in God's Word, more time in prayer, more time invested in relationships? And I think we know the, the answer to that question. You know, there was a book written by a guy, um, just one of these great classics, and if you can get your hands on it, I highly suggest it. Written by a guy called Gordon MacDonald, and it is one of these books that's about your inner world, your inner life, the world of your soul, the world of your thoughts and your mind, and he calls it ordering your private world. And in it, when he's talking about time, he talks about the following rules that he observes if we are unintentional with our time. And this is what he says, and, and see if you can identify this in your own life as well. He says, unseized time, in other words, uncareful time, unintentional time, unseized time 
flows towards my weaknesses. Now, every Sunday at nine o'clock in the morning, I get a little notification on my phone that tells me what my average screen time per day was. And I try and ignore that notification. Because here's what we know is, man, especially, and, and this isn't just the young people, by the way. I know that this is everyone in the room. When we think about what went into that average per day, some of you might push back and say, okay, Stephen, but I use my phone for work. I do a lot of emails on my phone. I maybe do some FaceTime. I maybe do some Skype or some Zoom, whatever the case might be. And I've also, I mean, I do. I've got some books loaded on my phone. So if I'm sitting around waiting, I can actually, you know, use that time well and be constructive. And so maybe you say, well, you know, Stephen, the reason it's so high is because I use my phone for these good things. And okay, that's fine. But what percentage you're honest with yourself, of that unseized time is simply getting swallowed up in social media and just swiping up and mindlessly not doing anything with your time. Now, maybe some of you say, well, well Stephen, but here's the thing. I'm not really big into social media. Well, you've got your own distractions, Right, and, and you're gonna have your own tendencies and for some of you, your weaknesses work. And so when you've got spare time, you just find yourself working more or you find yourself sleeping more. It's not sleep you need, right? And so when we have this unseized time, this kind of law is at work that it flows towards our weaknesses. Secondly, unseized time comes, comes under the influence of dominant people in my life. Husbands, don't look at your wives. Wives, don't look at your husbands. All right, you've all heard the saying, you know, God has a plan for your life. Well, so do other people have a plan for your life. And here's the thing, and I know that so many of you can identify with this, is that if you have unplanned time, unseized time, you're just gonna have people knocking on the door of your calendar. You're gonna have people taking control of your time. And when you get to the end of the month, you're gonna have a whole lot undone. Why? Because other people took hold of your time. And the third rule, he's got a number, uh, uh, he's got four or five. I'm only gonna talk about the first three that he observes is this unseized time surrenders to the demands of all emergencies. So you know the difference between urgent and importance. Urgent are the things that are screaming for your attention now. And that they're normally tasks that maybe take a, a few minutes, half an hour, maybe an hour max. Whereas important things are some of the bigger, more important aspects of life. But here's the difference. Urgent tasks have way louder voices than important things in your life. If the dishes are left unwashed, they will let you know. But here's the thing. For example, our relationship with the Lord, one of the most important things in our lives. If you haven't figured this out yet, you can go a day without the Lord, at least without you intentionally engaging the Lord. And not much will change. In fact, you can go a couple of weeks a couple of months, and you know that very little, as far as your own observation goes, changes. The same with relationships. 
You can take the foot off the gas of your important relationships, be it your kids, be it your marriage. And after day one, no one is screaming at you for your attention. And sometimes you can go weeks, months, if not years before things are in such a bad place that they are demanding your attention. Some of you may also remember when you were in varsity or in high school and when you finally knuckled down the time to do some studying and then all of a sudden, uh, okay, my bed needs to be made. Quickly, urgent, you know, do the bed, get back to my studying. Oh, a cup of coffee, okay. All right, got the cup of coffee, now I'm gonna study. Oh, those shelves need some rearranging, right? The urgent will always take up our time and I'm pretty sure that we all can identify, unfortunately, with these laws at play in our life. So if we are gonna be careful with our time, living as wise, not as the unwise, being intentional with every moment of our lives, how are we going to do this? Will if ever there was someone who had a whole lot of demands on their time and their life and their attention, it was the person of Jesus Christ. After he came out kind of announcing to the world who he was and why he was here, suddenly everyone wanted Jesus' time. If you were sick, well, where's Jesus? If your auntie was sick or your dog was sick or your auntie's cousin's brother was sick, where's Jesus? If someone was dying, where's Jesus? If someone died, oh, maybe the story will make it into the Bible. If you were sick, if you were frail, if you're spiritually struggling, if you were, you know, just under the influence of the enemy, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And so Jesus' life had all of these demands and pressures on his time. And yet when we read the gospels, it's almost as if he didn't live by the rules. You read in the beginning of the gospel of Mark that Jesus you know, after just spending a lot of time dealing with crowds and with people, he tried to draw away. But somebody posted something on social media because suddenly all the crowds started following Jesus and followed him to the other side. And so he continued teaching, he continued serving, he continued ministering to them. In fact, over several days, all the way into the evening, and then it continues to say that the one morning Jesus got up to pray, to spend some time with the Father, and the disciples just come frantic, still dark. Hey, Jesus, there's crowds outside the house. They're waiting for you. And Jesus breaks another rule. He says, no, 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 they can wait. I'm going somewhere else. But, but Jesus, you don't get to do that. These are real people with real needs. You, you don't get to say no to them. What rules is Jesus living by here? We get the famous story of, the resurrection of, of Lazarus. Jesus hears the news that his good friend is ill. In fact, he is so ill that he's about to die. And instead of getting into his car and running to his friend's home, Jesus hangs around in the town for another couple of days. And so at first glance, it seems like maybe sometimes, according to the rules at least you and I live by, Jesus is misusing his time. Or maybe is Jesus living by a different set of rules that if you and I can try and understand, we can also implement them into our life 
and hopefully demonstrate this principle, living as the wise, not as the unwise, making the most of every opportunity. And so I wanna talk about a number of guidelines that I think permeate Jesus' life and that you and I can start to impact our own lives as well. And the first guideline is this, know your mission. I want to read you some of the verses connected with some of the stories I told you about earlier. This is after Jesus just, he tried to withdraw. The crowds followed him. He spent day and night healing these people. He wakes up the next morning. His disciples are looking for him. There's a crowd waiting for him. And Jesus says this in Mark 1:38. Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I came. Jesus knew his mission. And that helped him with regards to how he was gonna spend his time. The story about Lazarus, John 11 verses four. When you heard this news, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory. So that God's son may be glorified through it. And so because Jesus knew his mission, he knew what he was able to say yes to. And so here's the question that I wanna ask you. And the question is, do you understand your mission? Do you understand that you are born for so much more than just running on the hamster wheel of life? You know, some of us run the hamster wheel of life well. What I mean by that is somehow we're, we're able to find some good jobs, Life on average is fairly easy and we're able to die fairly happily. Well, maybe others, the hamster wheel of life, doesn't matter how hard they try, they keep on falling off, but they've got no choice but to get back on. But do you know that when God looks at your life and the reason why you were planted in this world, it is for so much more than simply going to work, making money, possibly having a couple of kids, and then that's it. You know, all of these hamster wheel items, they always make their way onto our diaries and onto our calendars. And we can either look at our life, which translates into our time from the perspective of that's all it is, or we can recognize that, yes, these play a role. It's not like, you know, family is not important. These play a role and my job's gonna play a role and there's gonna be different seasons of my life. However, God has so much more for me. I want to read you a verse that I think brings some clarity to this. Ephesians 2 verse 10, which says, for we are God's handiwork. Some of your Bibles say, we are God's workmanship. The Greek word for this, we are God's, it's the word for someone composing a poem. You are not randomly thrown together like a Thursday night dinner. You are a craftsmanship of God, a workmanship of God. God knits you together in your mother's womb with great love and great intentionality, every single one of you. Don't believe what you sometimes see in the mirror. Don't believe what you sometimes hear in other people's voices. You are God's workmanship. And we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. 
Now, when I say, do you know what your mission is? I don't necessarily mean that you're gonna have this well-crafted mission statement that is gonna be the filter through which you pass every single decision of your life. But if you are walking close to the Lord, we need to understand that not only am I God's workmanship, so I can say, oh, wow, I'm, I'm God's workmanship. No, no, no. And part of that is God has created good works in advance for me to fulfill. So part of my job, my duty, my existence is going to be expressed when I fulfill all of those. I don't know what they are. But the more we walk with God, the more we're going to have a sense of, I think God's breath is on this one. And this is something that somehow gets marked as of high importance. This is something that God is calling me to walk in. And so that's gonna help me. So that's guideline number one, know your mission. Guideline number two, know your limits. You might say, well, Stephen, there's one thing to talk about Jesus, but he's the son of God after all. Right, I mean, he is able to do miracles and do all sorts of wonderful things that no human being, even the most spirit-filled, holy human being could ever do. So don't compare me to Jesus. And at some level, that is true. But at another level, not only was Jesus fully God, but he was also fully man. And part of the mystery of the time that Jesus was on earth with, with us was that he intentionally denied himself access to certain divine powers. And so yes, at times, Jesus knew what the Pharisees were thinking. And there's other times where Jesus says, I, I, I don't know when the Son of Man's gonna return. Only my Father knows. Jesus got tired. Jesus got thirsty. Jesus got hungry. Let me tell you, when Jesus bled, it hurts just like it would hurt you. When Jesus was betrayed, it hurts just like it would hurt you. So somehow Jesus lives between the boundaries of knowing his mission and also knowing his limits, which is why one of the things that helped him, it helped him know what to say yes to and what to say no to. Now, I don't know about you, that's one of the most difficult things that I find. What will they say if I say no? Yeah? Who will I disappoint when I say no? So I wanna give you just two quick leadership thoughts when it comes to this idea of yes and no. The first one is this. Every time you say yes to something, you are saying no to something else. Very often we're aware of what I'm saying yes to, but I'm not as aware of what I'm saying no to. When I say yes to that extra project at work, and I know it's not always in our control, but when I say yes to that, what are you saying no to? Who are you saying no to? And I think the more aware we become of what I'm saying no to, every time I say yes to something else, I think that's gonna help you with your wisdom. But here's another leadership principle. And I don't have it kind of in a neat, tight way. But it goes like this. It is easy to say no to bad things. Oh, it's 
it's fairly easy sometimes to say no to bad things. So one of the toughest things that you are gonna do sometimes is you're gonna say no to good things. But Stephen, how can you say no to that? That's a good thing. That's a good ministry or that's a good cause or that's a good need. Well, unfortunately, we feel like God is leading us somewhere else. And so in order for me to say yes to this thing, I need to say no to this good thing. And so because Jesus is aware of this, it helps him with his yes and his no. But at the same time, because he knows his limits, we see Jesus time and time again just deep in prayer with his Father in heaven. This wasn't because he had this, you know, dutiful response to his Father. Rather, he had this beautiful relationship with his Father. But also, because he knew his limits, he had this dependent relationship on his Father. Almost all of the big moments, Jesus going to the cross, Jesus choosing his disciples, Jesus engaging the demoniac, were preceded by nights of prayer. Jesus knew his limits. And so he demonstrated the fact that he needed his father's power, his father's love, and his father's wisdom in prayer. And I know, and I know because I, I so often, too often feel like this as well. I know that every time somebody stands up here and somebody like me is trying to encourage you to read the Bible more or to pray more or to do more or to serve more or to go to church more, I know that most of you, 99% of the time, hear it as one more thing on my plate. There are already so many things falling off my plate, I cannot afford to do one more thing on my plate. So I'm gonna respectfully say no. But when I look at my own heart and my own motives when I'm feeling like that, I realize I have some wrong thinking around that. And so here's some thinking that has helped me. Maybe it helps you. And that is this, when I do spend time with the Lord, I've got to trust that what God gives me in that time is greater than what I give Him. Let me try and explain what I mean by that. Let's say, I mean, for me on average, I, I like to give Friday the, and, and my sermon my full attention. And so I try not have any meetings on that day. But as you and I know, sometimes the week doesn't always go according to plan. And so sometimes I have meetings on a Friday. Sometimes I have meetings all Friday. And so sometimes I'm waking up and I've got a limited time on Saturday and I'm freaking out because I've got a sermon coming on Sunday. And I'm very tempted to, in those moments, say, God, I've got a sermon. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to connect with you because I've got stuff to do. And it's for you, by the way. And so I've got to challenge myself and say, what if, the economy of God is like this. And I suspect this is true looking at the life of Jesus. Let's say I've got five hours. Instead of giving my sermon five hours, what if I gave God half an hour, one hour? I've got to trust that what God does in me in that time is greater than if I hadn't. 
And what God can do in the remaining time, the way God has moved my heart, the way God has shifted me, the way God has spoken to me will always be more than if I had filled that time up with my efforts. Make sense? We have our limits. So when we talk about engaging the life of Jesus, it's not one more thing on my plate competing with other things. It is rather the life that I need in order to do everything else. Guideline number three, spirit-led balance. In the book of Matthew, we see at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, when he kind of came out into the open as the son of God and bringing the kingdom. And, and this is the moment where he was baptized and the spirit came upon him like looking like a dove. It says here in Matthew 4 verses 1, and then Jesus was led by the spirits into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now that seems like a really bad use of time. Incredibly inconvenient. Jesus, you've just launched your ministry. Now everybody knows, everyone's excited about the new king on the block and you're disappearing into the desert. Why did Jesus go into the desert? Why was Jesus so inconvenienced? Because the Spirit led him there. And that's why there was a block out on Jesus' diary entries for 40 days where Jesus lived in a sense out of balance because God led him there. And so the reason why I call this spirit-led balance is because life is dynamic. Life is not so static. And to try and illustrate this, I'm gonna try and do this with uh, you know, well, one hand on the mic, one hand on here, but I saw this illustration by an American Hawaiian pastor by the name of Wayne Cordero a number of years ago. So I'm gonna try and illustrate what this can look like. But imagine this stick, which looks like a giant ruler, is kind of how you and I try to balance our lives. And so this stick represents my family, my work, maybe some of my hobbies, my finances, maybe some of my other relationships, my spiritual life, my, my work life. And man, oh man, I'm just trying to do everything in my power to keep things balanced. And, and the second I get everything balanced, it's like, all right, nobody move. But what happens? Everyone moves. You wake up the next day and everything you knew about reality has changed because life is dynamic. It is not static. And so if we look at my finger, being the kind of the fulcrum of this balancing act here, and if we kind of understand this fulcrum as being my heart, my attention, my focus, I want you to imagine that maybe on one side of this balancing act, be it just the leading of the Spirit because He knows things are gonna get difficult. For example, let's say in family. And so He starts placing some pressure on that side. Now, what some of us do is we ignore it. In the name of being balanced, we ignore it. And what happens is we're out of balance. And some of us run. We run from the challenge. We run from where the Spirit is calling our attention. And things are even worse. But what if 
I'm able to take my heart and my attention and if the Spirit's pushing down here on my family, I can move the fulcrum here. And in that way, I can be balanced. Then after a period of time, the Lord's done His work. There's been some healing. I've given some attention and, and the Lord has done some great work in my family. And then what I'm able to do is Go back to the middle and then will the spirits are speaking to me and leading to me to just challenge my finances and what I'm doing with my finances. He starts pushing down on that side. And so I move my heart and my attention there. Guys, and this is why last week is so important. This is spirit-led balance. This is knowing by remaining close to the Lord and knowing His voice and where He is calling me to give my heart and my attention. If I'm to live a balanced life, I need to move where He's moving and go where He's going. And not everyone will agree with what that balanced life looks like, but between you and the Lord, you know that this is what He's calling you to do. Now listen, I've often mentioned this, that we live in a big, bad city. And so our lives, even compared to like Durban and Cape Town and East London, are just so radically different. But not only do we live in this big, bad city, but we also live in just such challenging times. And so if ever there is a moment where we as believers need to rise to the challenge of giving care to our time, Rise to the challenge of living as the wise, not as the unwise. Getting the most out of every opportunity that comes our way, it is now. It is now because life right now is challenging. It is like rocky soil. And if we wanna see life in that rocky soil of our diary, we need to plant seeds of life. And so I wanna challenge you. When we think about just where the Holy Spirit is putting a little bit of pressure, where He's calling you just to carve out a, a seed of time. Maybe for some of you, it is your marriage. And, and you know things, if left the way they are, nothing's going to change. So you need to plant a seed of time with your relationships and you need to say yes to that and therefore say no to something else. Or maybe it is your spiritual life and, and your church life and your life of relationships and maybe other believers who can encourage you. And the, the Spirit's just inviting you into that place and He's just applying a little bit of pressure there and you know you need to start saying more yeses here, but you also know the cost that means saying no somewhere else. And so what is the Spirit whispering to you? How is that gonna translate into your diary, into calendar entries? where someone can see that your priorities have changed because you planted a seed in time so that you can move where the Spirit is moving and engage the life that the Spirit wants to impart to you in these moments.
Now, as we think about how we are following the Spirit and the leading of the Father, one of the things that Jesus gave his time to as we move towards the table this morning, as I mentioned earlier, was incredibly inconvenient. In fact, it was all out painful. As Jesus went to the cross, no one ever wishes that that would show up on your outlook, right? On your calendar entries. And yet for Jesus, because he knew his mission and because he knew our limits, it says that for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. And so for him, being incredibly inconvenienced to the point of death, Jesus made that a priority. He says it in so many ways. Here's one of the ways, Matthew 20, verses 28. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I'm not trying to make you feel bad for Jesus. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty about what Jesus experienced on your behalf because he knew by following the will of the Father in this way and by not finding every excuse not to go through with this incredibly important task that the Father had for him, he knew what it would accomplish. And he knew that it would enable you and me to have a new kind of life with the Father. A new kind of way that just as much as he was able to call his Father in heaven, Dad, you and I are called into the very same relationship. The kind and quality of relationship that will last forever. And because of his death and his subsequent resurrection, where he beat death and he beat sin and he beat the enemy, he knows that you and I would be brought into the kind of life where one day there would be no death. There would be no evil. There would be no pain. There would be no suffering. And so for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. And we celebrate that in time. The truth is we don't know exactly when that was. Got a good idea. But nonetheless, it was a moment in time where God did some incredible work. And so as we come to the table, as we drink of the juice, just a picture of Christ's shed blood for us, and as we eat the bread, a picture of Christ's broken body on our behalf, let us think about this God of ours who knew his mission, who knew not only his limits, but your and my limits, who was led by the Spirit to do this incredibly unbalanced thing from our perspective. And as we engage and celebrate the Lord's presence in a very unique and powerful way, let us remember Him and honor Him. And once we've done that, let us just again allow the Spirit to continue speaking to us. Okay, Lord, now in light of that, how then should I live? What seeds are you calling me to plant? And just spend some moments with the Lord, doing some business with Him around that. So Father, we thank You that You have done this for us. 
we thank you that by our estimations, this looked like an imbalanced act. And yet you trusted your Father, you trusted the leading of the Spirit, you trusted the mission. For the joy set before him, you endured the cross. And so Lord, we remember that moment in history, but it's not just about that moment 2,000 years ago, it's also about today. And you're calling us to live in light of that moment. And so Spirit, continue speaking to us as we plant seeds in the timeline of our lives, trusting you and trusting the life that you're leading us towards. Folks, there are tables at the front, tables on the side, table up there in the balcony, just in your own time. Take the bread, take the juice, spend some time with the Lord, take it in your own time, and then we will close in prayer in a second.
Yes, Holy Spirit, we trust that you are in this place. And that you are speaking and that you are leading us. And maybe some of us know that some of the things you're calling us to are, are hard. They're not easy. To say yes to your voice is gonna require saying no to some things that we love. So give us great clarity on this, Lord, and great courage to obey you in this. And we know that you are always speaking to us and leading us towards life. That we may make the most of every opportunity and so that our lives may truly matter, not only for this world, but for all of eternity. That as we look at these good deeds that were created in advance for us to do, that one day we do stand before you, Lord, and we hear those words, well done, good and faithful servants. Lead us towards that, Jesus. And so I wonder, as just a small token of your response, keep your eyes closed. If you feel like the Lord is speaking to you about something in particular, I just want you to raise your hand just for a, a couple of seconds. Nothing magical happens here. It is just a simple acknowledgement between you and the Lord where your body is literally responding to what the Spirit is saying to you today. And Lord, we thank you that you're speaking. Lord, these are seeds of life. Our diary is gonna look different this coming month. And we trust you with those decisions and with the life potential that are invested in those decisions, especially where this time we're carving out is in the rocky soil of life, the thorny soil of life, God. We trust you and your ability to bring life into those situations. Jesus, we trust you in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen.